0: All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Quacks Podcast. I have on Stacy Faulkner with me today. And we're doing something a little bit different today. We're going to have a more uh, conversational podcast. Usually, I do podcasts that are interviews where it is you know, me asking questions, and the guests will respond in, in 10 minute long answers. But this week, it's going to almost be kind of a back and forth. Uh, I have an aspirin story that I want to talk about. Stacy has a lot of experience with the MTHFR defect. And so uh, that's a subject I've never delved into on the podcast. So I'm excited to talk about that. But anyway, I'm going to welcome Stacy on here. Stacy, how's it going? Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for asking me, Lucas. I'm pretty excited.
0: Yeah. So I've just to give a little background, I've known Stacy for almost a decade now, and we have worked together um, in my normal job. Uh, so I know most listeners are used to uh, there being kind of a Chinese wall between my normal job and what I talk about there and this podcast. I like to keep them uh, separate so there's no conflict of interest. But in my normal job, I do sell supplements. You know, I talk about them all the time. And Stacy uh, works for one of the biggest companies that I work for, uh, Emerald Labs, and she has been their trainer for what is it like twelve
1: years now or, or longer? That's right. That's right. I, I am a nester, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when I am uh, in full full force with the company and just you know just really understand the company and believe in it so much. Yes, twelve years, Lucas.
0: Nice. So let's let's start off with. Uh, Tell the audience about how you got into the natural health world um, and how how you came to be a trainer and, and all that fun stuff.
1: So it would first off be about passion. Um, second off, it would be about necessity of where do I go from here. I was in the corporate industry for quite a while, um, specifically in the subprime mortgage industry. But uh, the stress of that uh and the environment was not conducive to my lifestyle. But the way that I kind of figured it out was every morning I was bringing in my green magma, I had my whole regiment at my desk. And so when I re-asked myself, where do you want to go from here? What is your passion? Thought about my favorite class in school was nutrition um, and and, uh, specifically college. And I just basically got into it through that thought process took myself back to school um, and started in nutrition. Became a certified a clinically certified nutritionist, and then I went into a CNHP program um, for. Uh, studying more about nutrition, iridology, body work, uh, herbs, etc., like that, and really got into what I believed in and loved and then became a, certi- a certified personal trainer to kind of combine that. But then I was introduced to working in the natural food industry or health industry and started working with people um, in my natural health food stores that I loved uh, going to and got into participating and seeing that there were jobs out there for repping and then eventually my passion was educating. So I've been um, educating for seriously 16 years, maybe 17 years now. um, And with really these companies that allowed me to dive into the research uh, and understand the developers, the manufacturers, the formulators and really get into. What was going on behind the scenes to provide these consumers with, specifically, either wellness products or uh, health and beauty products that were so clean and efficient that the consumer really saw a difference with. And so here I am today working with a company that I truly love and uh, believe in in wholeheartedness with their their background, um, their key ideals, um, their mission, and um, so that's where you and I now. Have evolved from, yeah, and I'm excited to talk about that.
0: That's interesting. So you never really worked at a retail store. You you kind of I did not. Okay, you came at it from like a professional angle of like getting certifications and then getting in it that way.
1: Yes, because of my passion, and I really had to really sit down at my own table and dive deep into what is this. I was very interested in kinesiology, um, but I'm a tinier. Person and my hands and body work was really not going to be for me, as much as I really felt intuitively connected with body work and um, and healing aspects with hands and energy things like that. But realistically, uh, I'm a tinier frame, tinier hands, so the whole nutrition and personal training aspect was very important to me, and that's eventually how I kind of morphed into what else can I do where could I really reach the consumer at a bigger level? And that's been with educating, training, and getting across the nation um, and, and hitting just a larger, say, fan base, broader base of consumers that are eager for the information and really would benefit from just what I have to say, what I can teach them. And the energy overall of my personality is really about compassion and getting that aha moment across to people and changing people's lives. So that's
0: part of why I wanted to have you on was because you have this experience of basically traveling because you, you travel all over the United States and you are doing dinner trainings and you're talking to uh, customers in stores, you're talking to uh, the the employees and so you really have an experience of the natural industry that I don't think many people have. I think maybe a, you know, a small subset of, of trainers like yourself have that experience. And so it's like, there's this whole movement, you know, this natural movement. So I, I I'm definitely going to ask you questions about that. But, uh, before, uh, before we get into that, let's, let's get into this MTHFR stuff because people have asked me before, like you should do a show on MTHFR and I, I was kind of resistant to it. Like I I wanted to, I knew that I know there's something there and I know there's a lot of interesting research there. Um, you know, there's, uh, Dr. Lynch and stuff. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who've done really interesting work there. And so, but I never really mm-hmm. got into it because for myself, it didn't work that well. And so I just thought, mm-hmm. well, you know, I don't really have a personal angle on this and I couldn't really find too many people to interview on it. So, uh, you know, I'll just kind of leave this behind. But So let's let's talk about the MTHFR. Um, I know you have personal experiences about it. So uh, we definitely want to talk about that. But before we do, kind of give the audience a rundown on what is methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase deficiency? And you know, why is that important?
1: Okay. So you forgot the methylene. So a oh, lot of people okay. will say it that way. So we're <laughs> looking at, yeah, because it's going to be confusing for people all of a sudden, like, whoa, right over their head, but we can keep it really simple, Lucas, because it is pretty easy to understand. And so what Lucas is referring to is the NTHFR. And we can keep it. We can keep it that simple. It's an acronym for the long word. He just attempted to say but a lot of people forget it's methylene tetra not a lot of people forget because people uh, <laughs> don't even want to say the word that's right but all those people
0: it. who who miss yeah. it in normal conversation <laughs> yeah. you know shame on you yeah, it's just so, uh, it's one of those things
1: <laughs> so it's methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase and so right away if we want to break it down like every word can be broken down to understand it a little bit better so, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. If we look right away, ASE for the consumer to understand, is usually going to be most likely an enzyme, lipase, protease, amylase, etc. So this is a reductase. So if we start to break that down further, reductase is hopefully showing the consumer that it's an enzyme breaking something down into a final form. When we look at the first part of the word methyl, so it's going to be by the process of methylation, which every needs to go through, like any kind of a, a vitamin um, an isolate, something needs to go through by the pro- process of methylation. And a simple term would be, it's just the transfer of hydrogen and carbon molecules, four of them. And so that way we're creating something that's active to be utilized in the bloodstream and able to perform.
0: Okay, so, so something, proce- something comes into the body, it has to ha- be methylated, so so it Correct. has to be, it has to have this hydrogen and, and whatnot attached to it, carbon. or, or de- mm-hmm. carbon uh, detached from it, and that's what makes it active in the
1: body. And so, and that's a process through the liver, through a specific enzyme. So right away now, reductase comes into play, right? The enzyme now is gonna be working with the liver the process of methylation and so when we're taking in a synthetic isolate in this case we're going to be talking about folic acid the body's not readily able to utilize these vitamins in in the synthetic isolate form and so we want to make it active we want to make it beautiful and ready to perform in the bloodstream so the process of methylation through the transfer of these carbon and hydrogen molecules through the liver that and through with this specific enzyme in thfr So through the process of methylation, the enzymes reducing that synthetic folic acid into what? The last part of the word or the second to the last part of the word? Folate. So methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. So let's keep it simple. MTHFR is a gene that we all inherit. We cannot change our genomic coding. We can't. It's our circuitry. So the MTHFR is the gene that codes for the enzyme, and luckily, it's the same acronym in THFR. So that gene that we cannot change, that we inherit one from each parent, is in charge of converting synthetic folic acid into active methylfolate. And we're talking about B9. But now yes, why vitamin, you and I are going to be B9. talking about, mm-hmm, and why you and I are talking about it, right, is because there's something going on out there with genetic coding and it's becoming a variant or um, a, a mutation, or a polymorphism. And again, we can break that word down, something different. Polymorphism, uh, variation, genetic mutation, all of that just means that the NTHFR in its full form is now starting to code differently in some people more than others And that can really happen with cultural differences or, um, you know, Hispanics versus Caucasians versus African-Americans versus Asians. There's big differences there on how much this, this code is varying. And so when we're looking at the NTHFR, what you and I are going to be discussing is what's going on with this genetic mutation and how it's really affecting people. So there it is in a synopsis.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So you're, you're <laughs> with all those all those big words. So you're taking in <laughs> folic acid, your body's transmuting it into this methylfolate that can uh-huh. then be used. And you're saying that different uh, races of people have you know different levels of these enzymes. So sometimes you have a lot of this enzyme. Sometimes am I kind of getting that right? Sometimes you have a little bit.
1: Something's changing. Different. Like something's changing with every. Um, child being born in different areas something changing whether it be the genomic coding is from lifestyle choices or from environmental toxicities mm-hmm. something's definitely happening and so these variants are becoming much more occurring they're becoming much uh, more rapidly occurring each year and so it's something to really dive into of what's happening out here why is this mthfr occurring so much more rapidly and more and more people are being um having this having this variant you know in different ways
0: so it's almost maybe something like epigenetics because they just absolutely they discovered genetics and they they said okay this is the blueprint of of our bodies and then a little bit later they thought they found out oh well actually your environment affects which, which genes turn on which genes you know stay turned off and so yep. it was kind of like throwing a wrench in that whole blueprint thing but okay so
1: fascinating it's just, it's fascinating seriously because of the fact that the genetics you cannot change but why are they changing and so when you look at the epigenetics these codes of these defective variants for the NTHFR the first one of the 677 was discovered in 1997 in the Human Genome Project. And then the A1298C was discovered in 2001. I wish more people would really take advantage of all this genomic information, this pool that we have now, that's so available to us for, what, the past 30 years. If we can seriously find out that you have a genetic variant of the NTHFR or age-related macular degeneration or type 2 diabetes, why wouldn't you be able to focus on supplementation or lifestyle of food and exercise routines that could really be preventative to having that kind of thing happen and so i believe in genomic coding so much and being take, taking advantage of if you're a part of it the genomic pool Because therefore, I believe you are truly making a functional decision, are able to make a functional decision on what you're going to do for that protocol. Whether a supplement or certain foods you need to take in every day, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, or lifestyle choices. I need to cut out common allergen. I need to do this, this, and this. And you and I have talked about that, uh, nightshades. And for me, it's just we'll get into that but Mm -hmm. it's fascinating if people take advantage of the genomic information because it could be life-changing for you in a very much of a preventative maintenance way yeah do you agree
0: yeah i I totally agree there there was this uh it reminded me of this interesting rat study or, or mouse study that i read where they exposed mice to the scent of a cat and like shocked them at the same time and so these mice would end up developing this association between the scent of a cat and being zapped. And so obviously you get zapped, they, they have a spike in cortisol and adrenaline and they get all anxious. And so yeah, I know these poor mice, right? Um, I know. But then what they did was they bred the mice and I, I can't remember how many generations they went down, but they, they bred the mice several times and it was something like the fifth generation or the seventh generation could be exposed to this scent and they would get anxious and scared, even if they had not had the shock. And so there is something about the things that happen in our lives affecting further generations down. And so I don't know, maybe maybe the fortification of our foods with folic acid is having some mm-hmm. kind of effect down the line. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it, it it is definitely is really interesting. So um,
1: you know. Pointing to that really quickly, I used to go back years and years of what's causing this genetic mutation. You know, we used to drink out of the hose. We used to, you know, way back before um, even my generation, uh, farm kids would chase after the trucks that were spraying the plants with the pesticides. And where did the pesticides even start from? They started from what? An, an overload of the Agent Orange, what to do with it, Roundup, things like that. Where have we started to see this toxic environment uh, really be prolific on our health and our wellness? I would say after the, the start in the early 40s of pharmaceuticals and Going down that rabbit hole from there, not necessarily looking for preventative maintenance, the alienation of homeopathic and traditional or allopathic uh, medicine coming in, the alienation of you know, remedies and, you know, um, cultures that you used a lot of healing from plants and herbs and things like that, meditation and self-care like that, where the alienation started coming in the 40s, where pharmaceuticals started coming in. We start looking at plants being sprayed, less of gardens, things like that, more processed foods coming in. After the war, the convenience, I think this lifestyle has been brought the lifestyle has really brought on the gene mutations and the turning on and off of all of these um, specific genes that are leading to more and more disease and early ailments in younger people from digestion to early onset uh, dementia, and Alzheimer's mm-hmm. to earlier onset of joint issues and maladies. Uh, of all ranges and the difficulty of pregnancies and and the the onslaught of autism is one thing to be brought up as well
0: okay so how how do people know you know okay maybe i have this mthfr defect like i I had a uh, you know how do people know they they get genetic testing or whatnot that they have this defect
1: So the first point is just what you said. You can do genetic testing. Um, 23andMe.com is a personal genomics company um, that will let you know. Unfortunately, they have been um, slapped on the hand by the FDA many, many years ago by giving the information on MTHFR, telling the consumer, well, you need methylfolate in its active form. No folic acid but 23andme.com you can also get tested through um, your yearly blood testing Mm. Uh, you can ask for you can ask for an mthfr it's going to cost you a little bit more because unfortunately it's not in traditional allopathic testing because research goes back to traditional medicine saying that there's no issue with having an mthfr variant it's not going to affect you health-wise at all and we know absolutely it does and we can get into that but people can get tested or if they start to kind of recognize behavior it would be somewhat feeling a bit depressed highs and lows so adrenal gland um, kind of anxiety lack of support there from support of the b vitamins um
0: yeah let's let's talk about that so mm-hmm. if, if you have the mthfr defect you don't know but you you have it so What does that mean in your body? Your body's not converting folic acid into its active form. What does that Mm -hmm. then do... You know what symptoms are you going to have? How how would you know?
1: So if we look at the overall support of B vitamins and if we think of folate as let's per se the band leader of the band performing in the circus of our body, we want everybody to be performing together and well, right? So if we are not able to properly convert synthetic folic acid into active methylfolate, which is the B nine that the body needs. And, and utilizes he's in charge of kind of the rest of those B vitamins so we're not getting the support overall and I'm talking about basic fundamentals would be Lucas it would be adrenal gland support um we're looking at health uh, I mean heart health like homocysteine regulation um so the b612 the folate um Neurotransmitter production, huge. So those would be our, our neurotransmitters. So that's when I'm talking about, the lows, feeling depressed, serotonin, norepinephrine. Um, dopamine. We're looking at dopamine, yes. there's. I mean, these are huge issues, getting pregnant and staying pregnant. If you don't have enough folate in the system, the egg cannot attach. So we're looking at a, a multiple of um, uh, uh, miscarriages or not even... even uh, being able to get pregnant, we're looking at neurotube defects, spina bifida. We're looking at issues between uh, the mom and a healthy baby, and then the healthiness of the mom afterward. Digestion, sleep, um, nerve uh, nerve sheath protection. So those things alone. Talking about mind or mood regulation, um, anxiety, heart health, and pregnancy, digestion, mm. sleep. Those are major fundamentals that these B vitamins are all in charge of synergistically. So when we're talking about eight essential B vitamins, they're essential for a reason, like 13 amino acids, right? Essential for a reason. The body works in harmony together when everybody's performing their best. And so the bottom line with this NTHFR is if there's a variant here, you're going to start to see symptoms if you're not getting a proper active B vitamin or the proper amount of lentils and greens in your system through food, exercise proper water. If we are not properly able to convert this synthetic folic acid into folate and then the rest of the bees can't properly work synergistically together, then what we're looking at are those kind of symptoms. And we start to really culminate from what kind of gene do you have? A fully functioning gene, you're going to be able to properly convert synthetic folic acid into folate, beautiful performing folate. You can also eat products uh, that have the American wheat in there that are um, enriched with poor qualities or synthetic folic acid, riboflavor, and then thiamine. When we look at the second functioning gene and the fully functioning gene for your listeners would be a 677cc, and that's where it falls on the DNA chain, the number. When we look at the weaker one, the middle of the road guy is the 677CT. So fully uh, in the middle of the road. So we're starting to look at less activity. So maybe working at maybe 70% um, that consumers can look up or your listeners, excuse me, can look up the, the activity of how well it would be working in the guidelines of what you need to do. When we're looking at someone like the 677TT, like myself, we're starting to look at much higher uh, symptoms that you can recognize. So the middle of the road, somebody can properly process, you know, somewhat, you know, tolerable level of bread products, crackers, things like that, Mm. would start to maybe see um, intolerance with wanting to get up or function and maybe goes on and off depending on their lifestyle choices as well. Okay. And then when we look at the TT, we're really looking at somebody that's has to really look at homocysteine levels. That's internally that you can't feel. But then this is someone that is really being affected with um, not only cardiovascular conditions, but difficulties in getting pregnant, estrogen dominance, because toxins are so intolerable for us. And we're talking about cleaners and, uh, you know... Uh, toxins and waters or pharmaceuticals or drugs or alcohol, things like that. We're looking at mental health issues. We really have to monitor those highs and lows. Um, also, common allergens are a huge issue. And then the medical, the meds, uh, like pharmaceuticals are something to be really um, approached because they're going to have certain, um, they're, they're going to be blocking Absorption of synthetic folic acids and then folate that you need to really make sure you're having more of, and so okay. There's so a if rabble. I could just if
0: I could just sum that up, like basically everything that could go wrong could uh-huh. be attached to this MTHFR defect. I mean, heart health, Correct. anxiety, depression, digestion, uh, ADD, ADHD, autism, Alzheimer's, brain problems. I mean, almost everything could stem from this. Am I am I kind of getting that right?
1: And and for people that really don't are not going to get a blood test or 23andMe, those are symptoms that they want to look for to self-diagnose and then hopefully be encouraged to go do the blood test or the 23andMe. Because once you know, you can make those proper functional decisions that, oh, I've been taking Centrum. Oh, I'm not absorbing any amount of B vitamins. This is stemming probably from my you know, being brought on my depression, my anxiety, um, my joint pain, my my ruminating, my, I mean, we're looking at 36% mm. greater risk of schizophrenia and a 79% greater risk of depression. And I know some of your listeners like these statistics. So one out of four in Americans only that I've researched this morning, one out of four seriously, 25% of American population has some form of that middle of the road six seven seven ct
0: yeah real quick real quick let's let's just define the genes just so that people aren't confused there's two genes uh-huh. right there's the six seven seven and i think there's another one like the one two the, or
1: the a1298c
0: A, yeah and that doesn't have
1: so much yeah it doesn't have so much research but i have both of the worst of the variants and so that's how i started looking at so that. there's
0: six seven seven and then the the one twenty twelve eighty eight and you get and you get two from each parent, right? You get two um, you know alleles or, or whatever they're called from each yes, parent. And so
1: A-L-L-E-S, that's what you're referring and, to, the alleles.
0: And so you can either have one defect uh-huh. all the way up to four. And you're right. and so the middle of the road would be what, like you have two of those or
1: so the stats I'm giving right now, I'm only gonna be referring to the six, seven, seven. Okay. So the the one out of four, the six, seven, seven, the seriously would be the TT. Okay, 25%. And then one out of two, so 50% of the American, and this is only Americans I research, one out of two of Americans are affected with the 677 CT, middle of the road guy. So, so some days, maybe whatever lifestyle choices were happening during that month, it could be turned off. So now they're, why am I so depressed? Why am I feeling anxious? Those are the consumers that are going to a market, health food market, and saying, gosh, I'm feeling kind of depressed, anxious, what do you have? So they're going to walk away with perhaps ashwagandha, um, some 5-HTB to sleep. Um, They're going to walk away maybe with some SAMe. Okay. All right? So otherwise, maybe they're doctor visitors. So think about the people being affected seriously. That's 25% of the American population, one out of four. So those also may be inclined to go to a doctor's office and what's he going to hear? I hear you're depressed. I hear you're anxious and you can't sleep. So now I'm going to prescribe you some Xanax, some, uh, SSR and yeah, yeah. some, yeah, Prozac and something to sleep. So now I'll talk about liver health and becoming masked over, right? Not, not, we're just masking these symptoms. So this is a huge issue. And if they're not going to a doctor and if they're not going to a, a health food store, to look at supplementation, we're looking at close to more than 50% of these people are going to self-medicate, whether it be pharmaceutical or drugs, alcohol. Okay, so about half
0: of people have some degree of mutation, meaning they're going to have something wrong, but they're going to you know, try and fix that with some supplements or whatnot. Um, and then 25% have it Really bad, and they're the ones who are going to mm-hmm. go to the doctor and be like, "Hey, I'm I barely functioning. What can you give me?" And they're the ones who are going to get the pharmaceuticals.
1: I would say any of them. It depends on who has been brought up with with supplements, who's been brought up with pharmaceuticals. It's that different buyer kind of thing. Who's been brought up just to go have a drink, right, when they get home because they're so stressed off. just they're so stressed out that cortisol levels cortisol level is high, like you talked about being in traffic it's not going to go down they're used to calming it either with a tub of ice cream a bag of chips a glass of wine uh the marijuana or whatever they're choosing and then you have another type of person that's going to go straight to the doctor and then you have another type of person that's going to really get into the supplement aspect okay that could be all of them
0: gotcha and don't you think yeah yeah for sure and so they're going to and 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 what we're saying today basically is that if you avoid the regular folic acid that you're not converting and you switch over to methylfolate which you can supplement with you're going to start alleviating some of these things absolutely okay so talk talk a little bit about that methylfolate that's something that you know how does that work like you're you're taking a different type of folic acid and that one's okay
1: so when we're talking in my mind i like to really differentiate them lucas So the folic acid i'm always going to be referring to it for your listeners as the synthetic isolate it's got to be methylated converted through your liver with that enzyme we talked about in the beginning the mthfr that guy needs to convert synthetic folic acid if we have that fully functioning gene that enzyme, the 677CC, mm-hmm. no problem. Eat your breads, crackers, take your centrum, take your whatever, your big box vitamins, no problem, conversion's going to happen. For people that are have the variant of the 677CT, middle of the road guy, I'll call him, or the, the hardcore one at the very end, the 677TT at the end of the spectrum, we're really going to need to look at Research. What do we need? If our body cannot convert synthetic folic acid, where can I find it in its active form? Okay, my first choice might be food. Okay, if I'm going to research active forms of folate, ooh, I'm going to look at legumes, lentils, greens, things like that. Okay, so I'm going to up my diet with that. A functional decision because I have this education now. I'm empowering myself to be preventative. If I want to look at supplements and I start to do the research on it, okay, Ooh, supplementation. Then I need something called coenzymated. I need something called methylated. I need something in its active form. And for your listeners, those three words are interchangeable: coenzymated, methylated, active. Hmm. That just means that B vitamins, and we're talking about it right now, specifically folic acid. And other vitamins can be coenzymated, like methylcobalamin. Is methylcobalamin is the superior form of cyanocobalamin, where it has to go through the process. Of methylation, B12, active form. We have other active forms of B vitamins, B2, B6, and people can fully recognize them as B52 or P 5 R5, p sorry, R52 or P5P, right? Mm-hmm. So, active forms. So, those are ready to go, pass go, and collect $200. And what I like to say. So, in that way, it's active for our body to utilize right away. And technology now is offering. The consumer, these forms of active vitamins, so it's less work for the liver, it's affordable, and it's just new technology. So older forms of synthetic isolates, you don't even need to really look at those if you're able to get an active methylated or coenzymede form of the vitamin you're looking for, and specifically what you and I are talking about are B vitamins and folic acid.
0: Interesting. I I had this thought, and this was just... A thought I actually had this morning um, because I, I heard one time that the MTHFR defect, you know, is not really a defect. It's an adaptation to a low folic acid environment. So have you heard this at all?
1: So I have not heard it, but it completely makes sense. And especially since it's being passed down, mm-hmm. right? From generation to generation. If I look at my father who my biological father uh german descent very 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 fair okay i look at my mother irish descent very 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 fair if we look at, at the the research here the mthfr is most of the time affecting very fair um yeah races. what do we call it cultural races races yeah So with me, I'm very blonde, very fair skin, freckles. I am very recessive. So um, these recessive traits are very inherent to to have the MTHFR. From parent to parent, they've always had low folic activity, if that makes sense. Also, when I look at Asians and Indians, not not American Indians, but Indian descent um, from India, Asians, very um not so affected by the mthfr hmm. then if you look at african americans they are more they're just right under the caucasians well the, the reason
0: the reason i brought up the the whole folic acid thing with the genetics is maybe i wonder if the mth you know because what i was saying was you know these people this this gene defect is really an adaptation to a low folic acid environment meaning somebody who has these defects if their diet was low on folic acid or folate what, whatever um, they would actually be okay they'd be better they're they're better adapted to somebody who doesn't have those those variations and so i the what i compared it to was um obesity because a lot of people who are obese today their metabolisms are slower and if we were in an environment where there was famines and people were starving, these people would actually be better off, right? They would be more likely to survive and pass on those genes that uh, would code for being much more efficient at extracting nutrients out of the food and, and having a slower metabolism. And so I wonder if part of what we're seeing is, okay, this folic acid, we're inundating our food supply with it, and so all these people who have this defect who are adapted to live in an environment where there is low amounts of folic acid they're getting overloaded with folic acid and that's causing all of these problems and so i wonder if the real problem is actually folic acid poisoning and not so much a lack of methyl folate is it's it's almost like the same as the obesity people their problem is an abundance of food they're they're adapted to live in an environment where there should be less food does that make any sense
1: it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, when we look at just MTHFR mutations overall, like just causing these widespread under-methylations through the body, I mean, it could happen with several other vitamins too. I mean, under-methylation is responsible for an enormous amount of health conditions. I mean...
0: I looked up uh, just what foods exactly were fortified, and so in 1998, Mm. uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, uh, they required that folic acid be added to enriched grain products such as bread, pasta, rice, and cereal, and then Uh Canada in that same time did the same thing, adding folic acid to white flour, enriched pasta, and enriched cornmeal. Uh, so crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, if you don't want to go the methylfolate route, because the, the, when I took methylfolate, so I, I personally have, I think ah. one six, seven, seven defect, and I think one mm-hmm. 1288 defect or something like that. Maybe, maybe, uh, I, I can't remember, but anyway, I have a slight, slight defect there. And so I tried methylfolate at one point and I just, it found, I found it didn't just didn't didn't make me feel good at all i just was angry and i was like okay so this this is this really isn't working for me and so maybe for people who try it and it doesn't work for them the better route would be just avoiding all folic acid sources and that would also help take some of the strain off the liver of trying to convert this stuff and it's swimming around in your system and maybe not helping you so i don't know that was another idea i had there
1: so uh, are you just getting it through your food your b12 so i, I mean your b your b9 excuse yeah, me yeah
0: so i i don't personally take a b complex because i just they're so strong i don't know i don't know why but if i took mm-hmm. i took a you know a b vitamin uh like be healthy or whatever and I, like one capsule will keep me revved up for like three days mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know i'll have problems sleeping i'll just be on edge and so for mm-hmm. me, you know, I, I kind of avoid B vitamins, and that's not everybody. Some people can take double the dose and they're like, "Yeah, I, you know, this is fine. Some people can take it, and it makes them sleep better. They'll take it at night, which is kind of
1: oh, I've heard that too. I've heard that across the nation. And for me, it's happened to me once, and now I've always been I've been trying to think about something or like, does this have you known anybody that's this happened to you?" And I thought back, Clearly for myself, Lucas, and it was like, okay, one time I was going to do a dinner training, but it was a three-hour drive from the lunch training to the dinner training. And so I had my supplements in a cup next to me on the drive and I had to run in and change in the hotel room. And I had taken my B vitamins right before it parked at the hotel, but right before I ran in, I thought, oh, you're going to be kind of frenetic. So I took an adrenal and I don't normally take an adrenal. And so what happened was just exactly what you explained. I became sweaty, on edge. I was talking so quickly and I already talked so quickly. I don't drink coffee. I cannot. Just one cup of green tea because my wheels are spinning always so quickly. And that is part of that whole, I think, part of my... Uh, my MTHFR very frenetic. Growing up with a dad that always told me very I was frenetic and always on edge, and you know just don't take things so personally. And so I think if people listen to this, you can become very high and low with with specific MTHFR t- or the six seven seven TT. And so knowing that and feeling my body, I don't take an adrenal at all anymore. I also be very aware that I don't take my B-complex with my one-a-day prenatal because it's got triple amount of the folate in there. And I take that prenatal because it has triple amount of the active folate, specifically as a one-and-done. So I make sure I take a high-active therapeutic B-complex later on in the day as what some people might around two o'clock when they might tend to grab a cup of coffee and start getting that kind of... Yeah you don't know, want to have a boost. So I do that and, for sure. And you,
0: you know, your family, I guess, has some signs of methylfolate reductase deficiency.
1: Yeah. And you know, it didn't take, the reason why I even found out I had this is because I was lecturing and doing so much research on the MTHFR and then starting to do not only these trainings with, with staff that were very, Um, involved with supplement knowledge but then I started doing consumer lectures and I started having people come to me with their NTHFR uh, data and then just researching it and going over it with them I just kind of finally thought you have this look at your mom look at your dad biological and look at your biological brother So growing up, I really had a very unemotionally available mother. She was not only ill with a couple of autoimmune diseases, she was extremely anxious and insecure. And really, she came from a dysfunctional, abusive um, family environment. And so I had an adoptive father who was equally unemotional. And he really didn't accept my brother and I, and so I was constantly being told that I was too dramatic, I was frenetic, I was an exposed nerve, I was too sensitive, I talked too fast, and my mother was really untouchable, and so was my dad. And so, not coming from a hugging, kissing, I love you family, I just kind of grew up that way. And at 53 now, coming back about let's say I've been I've known about this for five years, a lot of information just whoa, this all makes sense. Knowing that I had this genetic variant, it really has, knowing this information has been really responsible for letting me know where I come from, early on behavior, tendencies of being high and low, um, health issues as far as weight issues up and down, um, and just things like I described earlier, um, poor detoxification, my mother... suffered from migraine she would just go detached Um, my biological father same thing alcoholism on both parts of them highs and lows the ruminating uh my mom bipolar dad bipolar my brother bipolar they're all three extremely fair you know and very recessive genes and so knowing what i know now I think if anybody could be tested for this, if they have any of these kind of symptomologies that I've been talking about, it would be really a launching ground to look at mood, anxiety, pregnancy. Also, Lucas, as you know, I'm 53. I did not ever get pregnant. Could not just, it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have no children and we just, nobody talked about, you know, in 1998, let's say that's when I got married Nobody was ever talking about MTHFR or midwives and doulas. They, I just went to a traditional allopathic. It was just like, hmm. And certainly we never went to look at the ground for, you know, in vitro and things like that. So these, in my mind, these general physiological malfunctions, these things that, People may be facing would be, in my mind, the greatest attribute to get tested and figure it out, especially if you're in childbearing years and something's not going right, or you have a tendency for drugs, alcohol, or you like your pharmaceuticals. We're looking at things that addictive personality, we're looking at poor detoxification, um, we're looking at neurotransmitter um issues so mental health issues that really need to be addressed and then the drugs alcohol things like that are going to be addressed with high estrogen dominance which is one of the biggest things for nthfr so it's it's no joke that you can really look at maybe complex and um extra um Antioxidant support because poor detoxification. So glutathione, alpha-lipoic acid, fruits, vegetables, lots of uh, flavonoids, um, things like that, and then good water. Stay away from toxins and cleaners. Get get good house cleaners. Get um, make sure you're drinking really good water all the time. Uh, Non-GMO foods, um, exercise. Things like that; those are sound like no-brainers. But in today's world, it's really hard to stay away from the excitotoxicity. They keep things in mason jars or uh, transfer your stuff that food, um, things like that, or health and beauty transfer them into glass jars if you can. I mean, I am a, I am all about the mason jars. All about transferring things into healthier, viable vessels and um, don't wear your shoes in the house and just good water is really important and exercise and oxidative stress is a huge, uh, huge culprit Um, and so is BPA um, for people that have MTHFR variants as would anybody that has a good healthy MTHFR uh, enzyme going on but those things are super important overall yeah,
0: speaking of water i just found out recently that the big plastic jugs that they deliver water you know the big five galloners uh that like arrowhead mm-hmm. will deliver or whatever uh though you know they'll say bpa free on them but those are actually some of the worst plastics for bpa i had no idea i just believed what they said when they said bpa free but um you know for arrowhead that would be nestle uh, they did their own testing quote unquote we did our own testing and we found that we didn't have BPA. But those plastics are some of the worst for BPA. And so
1: Absolutely. And so I
0: switched over to glass. Um, it's not, it's, it's a little bit more expensive. That's for sure. It's probably double the price. Uh, so instead of, you know, 30 bucks a month for water, it's 60 or 70, but, uh, mm-hmm. it's just crazy. I didn't know that. And I drank that water for years. So, um, just something, they, something to be aware of. You
1: have to ask. It's a good point. Cause I went through pure flow for a while and I did not know that they had two different sources. When I finally asked, she said, Oh, well we have this other one where these are BPA, but they have other Plastics in them, and they can't sit in the sun. And you know, the water's delivered next to your garage, and, and especially you Arizona. I'm San Diego. It's it's hot, and then they're in the hot delivery truck all day long.
0: Yeah. So I mean, we're we're kind of coming up on an hour. I had no idea we'd talk about this for so long. Um, so I love yeah, it. Yeah. So that that's great. I don't know if we'll get to the aspirin story. I, I mean, maybe we will. But I, the the last thing I wanted to ask you about this MTHFR thing was, you know, you talk to a lot of people out there in the field, you're talking to customers and stuff, are you finding similar stories? Are are you finding fair-haired people and, uh, you know, people who maybe matched some of the descriptions you said are responding really well to methylfolate or or being like, oh, wow, you know, all those describe my symptoms so well. And if so, do you you have any personal stories you could share that you've maybe
1: heard? So both on that, Lucas. So the second part was the ahas. Oh my gosh you just describe me or you just describe my mom or my best friend or my husband. I get those ahas all the time. When I start to really explain the, the, the ruler of the six, seven, seven CC to the TT or the CT to the TT. Like what's the spectrum of different behaviors. And then when I start to talk about you're okay to get out of bed too, Oh no, you're not okay to get out of bed or you're ruminating over that same story you're okay with in the beginning, you know, with, the different levels of of the gene variation, people say, aha, oh my gosh. And then it really explains to a lot of the staff that I'm educating that, oh, that describes this lady who comes in all the time. So poor poor methylator on il two, you now know how to deal with it. For people that I asked to raise their hands, how many people know about MTHFR? How has this changed your life? Oh, B vitamins, or oh, I started doing greens heavily in my smoothie oh my gosh I started I'm a vegan and so I wasn't eating I was eating so much processed grains and stuff that was I went off of that and then really started upping my folate and my chickpeas things like that so that kind of stuff's been really interesting and people that get it really get it and it's really for me it's very fulfilling I
0: bet yeah I bet Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, let's let's just talk really quick about this aspirin story. You got you got a little bit more time. I do. Okay, so uh, I wanted to cover this aspirin story because I've talked positively about aspirin in the past. Uh, Ray Pete's a big fan of aspirin and uh, recently there was a study that came out and it was a small study so this was it was from the Israelis so this was in the Jerusalem Post and they said aspirin lowers risk of COVID new findings support preliminary Israeli trial uh, and so they found that the treatment reduced the risk of reaching mechanical ventilation by 44 percent ICU admissions were lower by 43 percent (laughs) and then overall in-hospital mortality saw a 47 percent decrease and so this was a, this was not a double blind placebo controlled study. This was an observational study of 400 COVID patients. And so they were basically looking at people who were on aspirin versus per- people who were not on aspirin. So this is obviously not conclusive. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, we gave people with COVID aspirin and these people lived and these people died. Like it's not that clear, but it was just something that came out, and this was in the beginning of October, that said, hey, you know, aspirin may be useful for COVID. And it, and it kind of makes an intuitive sense as well. Uh, if you look at the symptoms of COVID-19, uh, you know, with the blood clots, and the, it, it just makes sense. The inflammation, aspirin, kind of counteracts these. It's a blood thinner. And so, that story came out. was very interesting. And then, literally a week later, a uh this is so weird like this task force the u.s preventative services task force came out with a recommendation that aspirin should no longer be used to prevent cardiovascular disease and so this kind of sent the the health of health sphere i don't know whatever you want to call it uh, into a bit of a uh, I don't know if you want to call it a conspiracy thing, but they basically said, look, there was this thing that came out that said aspirin may be useful, and now they're not recommending aspirin anymore for heart disease. And so, we saw this same thing with NAC, n cysteine, where uh, some people were using it for COVID and saying, hey, this is really useful. It helps with the lungs. And then the FDA comes out and says, uh, you know, we don't consider uh, NAC good for supplementation anymore. And so, it was kind of like okay, are these people just trying to bash on anything that could help COVID that isn't a vaccine? And so um, this U.S. Preventative Service Task Force, they came out with this recommendation. This recommendation was picked up by NBC, <laughs> by uh, NPR. I mean, it was spread wide everywhere. People saying, oh, yeah, low-dose aspirin shouldn't be taken anymore for heart health. Um, that That's no good. Um,
1: taken out of context well
0: a couple things first the u.s preventative task force is a non-governmental body i mean i was reading about what they do if there is like a murky deep state kind of ish organization (laughs) like this is it yeah
1: it's an independent volunteer panel of national experts in prevention and evidence-based medicine that works to improve the health of people nationwide by making evidence-based recommendations about clinical prevention services. And then they kind of assign themselves. So they are definitely independent. So listeners need to understand that. And we don't know really who they're working for. Yes. yes. Right? We don't know who they're saying that this is what they're based on, but we don't know what umbrella they're under, just like as you and I know, we get a lot of essays and assays written that by doctors in our industry that are paid by that supplement company. Yeah. And we know this happens across the board. And so so that's the first thing listeners need to be aware of. Sure.
0: And and so I I dug deeper. I thought, okay, because they said they Uh said new evidence says this. And mm-hmm. so, I thought, okay, well, what new evidence? Well, it was impossible to find where they actually, what study they were referring to. And eventually, some guy on Facebook pointed me to, to the study, and it was from 2018. And it was a large study, so like 19,000 people.
1: Oh, I know what you're it talking was, about. Mm-hmm. It was double-blind
0: placebo-controlled, mm-hmm. so this is a good, uh, a good well-rounded study, and They gave people 100 milligrams of enteric-coated aspirin or a placebo, Mm -hmm. and they found that uh, it was the risk of death from any cause in the aspirin group was 12.7 events per 1,000 people. And in the non-aspirin group, it was 11.1 events per 1,000 people. So, it's about...
1: And why? What was the highest cause?
0: So, it's about one and a half people per 1,000 people. (laughs) So, it's... Right. I mean, one percent it's, it's very small it's very small i mean it's, it's a fraction of a percent um one, that they got yeah. it for and and anyway it's it's weird like i i also looked at the aspirin that they are giving people um these are the ingredients in that aspirin which is pretty nuts active ingredient aspirin inactive ingredients black iron oxide brown iron oxide Canuba wax, uh-huh. cornstarch, DC yellow 10 aluminum lake, FDC yellow 6 aluminum lake, hypromethylose, methyl acrylic acid, copolymer tape C, polysorbate 80, powdered cellulose, propylene glycol, shellac, sodium lauryl sulfate, talc, all right, talc, cancer-giving So pal- first of all- oh, wait, wait, titanium yeah. dioxide, tricetin, triethyl citrate, and so those- those are the, uh, you know, may contain one or more of these ingredients. So th- these are the additives that they have within the aspirin that they're giving people. And and just all of a sudden, like talc, okay, that, that's a carcinogen. Titanium dioxide, that is a neurotoxin.
1: And why is it enteric-coated? It's like, who, okay, they're giving these to people that are 70 years older, or 70 years of age or older, and it's an enteric-coated aspirin. So you have to wonder about their digestion. I know that they were seemingly healthy, but also, what should be noted, there's, an, there's a percentage, there's an increase of aspirin-taking elderly that died over the, the placebo, but it was from cancer. Out of mm-hmm. 1,052 deaths, only 203 were from cardiovascular disease, and only 53 were from a major hemorrhage. So if aspirin is being taken off or, or disrecommended because of the blood clotting and they're afraid these 70 or 60 plus year olds are going to bleed out (laughs) from a cut or a major wound or hemorrhaging, perhaps from a stroke or, or a heart attack. The benefits in my mind outweigh not having a heart attack or a stroke than the benefits of bleeding out, which is 256 patients out of 1052, the cancer they died in this study Was 522. So anybody could take this out of context and say more people died that had aspirin in this study. That's what's happening.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how you take it. I mean, there's the cynical part of me that says this is just like stone evil. Like they're basically recommending to people that, hey, stop taking your aspirin. And all these people are going to stop because they're going to believe what they hear. And it's plastered all over the news. So I mean, it's like it's everywhere. And they're going to stop taking aspirin and it's like okay they're going to have a higher risk of cardiovascular events you know like baby aspirin to me is very safe um that's one that's one way to view it a less cynical way to view it is to just be like no these this is just a coincidence the the timing of these two things it you know it's it's totally coincidental so i don't know how you see it but uh yeah how do you see it
1: (laughs) i see it well yeah well i i see it as what I see that this study was being taken out of context and that these were cancer deaths more from aspirin. Just because they are all taking aspirin, they're saying effective aspirin on mortality, right? It was very low for, ble- for bleeding, for hemorrhages and cardiovascular disease. So those taking aspirin, but people were dying of cancer. Half of the deaths were from cancer. So the effect when they were saying the effect was much higher of deaths with the cancer, where the effects were much higher with people on aspirin, they didn't state in some of these uh, things that went to the news, that more of a work for cancer than cardiovascular. So I think it was taken out of context. Then I think that this Israeli article, I think that the findings, obviously, they're not double blind, like you said, but when we look at COVID, we're looking at acute respiratory distress syndrome, right? So when we're looking at that, what they found is that this COVID is seemingly what? It's causing these tiny blockages in the pulmonary blood system. So it's small blood vessels that are clotting, which commonly is leading to this acute respiratory distress. So aspirin is lowering that. And that's just what this article from the Israeli uh,
0: yeah.
1: article is stating that it's helping. So with addition to its effect on the blood clots, they found that the aspirin carried immunological benefits and that the group taking it was 29% less likely to become infected with virus. And we're just talking about the aspirin. So in my mind, I would say the benefit outweighs taking the baby aspirin that we've grown up with. And so I've got my father-in-law. We probably know all of our elderly people taking the baby bottle of baby aspirin was and all of our grandfathers and grandmothers, you know, medicine cabinets we've grown up with this and i would i would say it would be just fine to continue but i'm not a doctor but that's just my you know you know clearly says that low dose aspirin is a common treatment from anyone suffering from blood clotting issues or in danger of stroke so they're saying that if you don't have a history of that don't take it but what about the people who have been taking it forever that just now, want to listen to this news? That's all over, taken out of context, and they start taking, going off of it. So I would be afraid of a heart attack or, yeah, you know, myocardial so, to, to
0: play devil's advocate. You know, there there could be. So this this guy has this video, Vinay Prasad. I, I didn't send it to you, um, but he kind of made the case that it could be that aspirin is no longer effective like it used to be you know when the the, asp- yes. when the aspirin trials were being done back in the day you know okay. that showed it was it was good for cardiovascular disease and you should take a baby aspirin every day and and the risks outweigh the the, the um or the benefits right. outweigh the risks when that was happening the population in general was not on statins they were they were no. skinny um and they mm-hmm. didn't have, meta, you know, they didn't have low yeah, didn't have metabolic mm-hmm. disease, and so now the population you're dealing with are are on statins. It, statin use is very widespread. Uh, they're all obese, and so it it could yeah. mean that aspirin is no longer effective for cardiovascular disease like it used to be. That that's possible. Um, so just to play devil's advocate, I want to put that out there because we we don't want to be propagandists you know we want we don't want to like pick one side and be like yeah this is it we want to give kind of a well-rounded view of the different issues unlike what the news media did which was just take the don't take aspirin anymore and just spread that far and wide which seems very irresponsible i think that's going to cause deaths i think people are going to get off aspirin and they're going to have more Uh cardiovascular events and so Uh yeah i don't know that uh, do you have any finishing thoughts on that
1: no no i I completely agree I concur with that um and I understand that this is these studies were done and because what we're looking at is you know ninety five year olds seventy year olds things we've grown up with you know, I'm older than you, but this is the aspirin thing is what I've grown up with, but it did come out a week in it you know from the October sixth to October twelfth and at this point, you know I'm kind of at everybody or Big pharma, i never really wanted a piece of this granola bar of what you and I like to discuss of supplementation and and healthy, but now they want a whole piece of it and they don't really want to share it. So we have to be really um, coherent about what we're listening to and the the advice and things that we're reading and do our own research and be advocates for our own health and what we're going to decide. Because going off baby aspirin right now in your mid-60s may not be the best uh, advice that you've got from, you know, NBC.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's for exact, sure. That's right.
1: For sure. So be your own advocate and um, lifestyle choices are obviously going to be clear, very, you know, clear, um, yeah. on your own health with exercise and nutrition and healthy supplementation and positive thinking, um, and your environment. Yeah.
0: Well, let's, let's wrap this up. It's been almost uh, it's over, over an hour and, uh, I usually like to usually like to stop them around there. Um, last question I want to ask you is a question I usually ask most of my guests, and uh, it's just kind of off the off the cuff, whatever comes to your mind first. Uh, what is the worst advice you hear in the mainstream media, in on Twitter, on Facebook, wherever? What is the worst advice you hear in regards to your health, where you just think, man, that just don't do that. That just seems like awful
1: advice. Mm. I think the worst, well, my first thing came to all of the pharmaceutical ads on the TV that the unsuspecting you're hearing every day. Yeah, And um, be mindful of of all of those ads that can cure, dissipate, ameliorate, because be more mindful of the amount of the side effects when the, the tone goes really low and they're speaking so fast. Um, be mindful of those ads. Um. There's so many things out there, but that would be my first thing. I can't stand hearing the pharmaceutical ads because I think so many people are coerced into that, that are looking for desperate answers. All right, quick, quick answers. Yeah, that's
0: that's really good. It's it's about the money. It's not about your health.
1: Right, right. All right,
0: Stacey. If people want to get in contact with you, or you know, have any other questions about MTHFR, do you have an email you want to give, or or something like that, where people could contact you?
1: Sure. Questions are always welcome. It's my name, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y L Faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at Gmail. And I can take any questions that you have regarding supplements, MTHFR, nutrition, and we can go from there and see if that something might be helpful for you.
0: Well, thanks so much. Did you have fun?
1: I did have fun.
0: Good, good. All right. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks Lucas for having me on. I think that was really great. And hopefully um, we've kind of opened some eyes to both sides of the story.